Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Here. Oh, of course you're on your phone. Well, I've got one of those. Do you know audible.com.au? What is it? I don't know. It's is it books? into audio books. But they won't stop charging me and I don't want to be on this shit anymore. I just got a notification. They've charged me $17. I'm mad what? about it. Yeah. It's a bit rude. Yeah. A bit lot. Yeah. I've got this weird thing with Foxtel at the moment. Like I record so many shows. I love them. And I went to watch this show last night called Art Detectives where they like find an old painting and the man goes, hmm, I think this is by the 17th century Italian artist and, and this woman yes. bought it at a garage sale for 24 That's exactly what they do. I love it because it's like forensic. It's almost like a dead body thing. They like forensically examine it. And yeah. they, there's nothing more Have exciting to Have you seen that me. one what? about the woman who restored the painting herself and she did the shittest job ever? No. no. She was told to wait and let someone else restore it. She didn't. She thought she would just Don't do it herself. Do that. Do you know what they cleared the old varnish off with? Spit, saliva, because oh. it's got it's mildly, um, what's the word, caustic. Yeah. Like it takes here, so they spit on a cotton bud. Except I tried it with one of my old paintings, and it's like I just haven't got enough spit. <laughs> it took too long. Oh, that's a shit job. She's ruined that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send it to you, Kirst. Can you put it on now? It's so bad. And if you look it up, there's a story that goes with it. It's a painting of Jesus in Spain and she absolutely fucked it. Um, it's so bad, but it's hilarious. Well, they they um, they examine these paintings and they x-ray them. There is nothing more exciting because sometimes it's a What's whole different painting. Paint- well, sometimes there's a whole different painting underneath. And then they oh. went, oh, because they didn't just have a million canvases. They didn't just pop down to Riot Art and Craft and get another canvas. Ooh, I love Riot. It took them forever to have a canvas. So anyway something's happening with my foxtail that it does the first five minutes and then it it like seizes and then it jumps to the end of the episode. I've missed the whole That would make me so mad. Nothing would make me angry. I know. I'm furious. Furious. Who's going first? Me. Right. Okay. This is a story of Sarah Kafferke. Know it? Mm -hmm. Yep. Sarah was- Nearly did it. You're lucky I didn't. You'd you'd have nothing. Nothing, Chanel. You were going to do this story? It's on my list. Oh, I'll cut it off now. I did it. I did I've it. I've got a really big list with every murder oh, ever well, happened. Like I it. actually sent D a um, – oh, wait, I'll show you. So this is the bag. <laughs> I, this is the book I've been walking around with in my bag. And oh, yes. please remember, okay. my bag gets x-rayed at three different courts at least <laughs> five times a day. Stand by. I wanted to know when you had time to go to Kmart. I get oh, this Kmart. random text – so Chanel's the most, um, what's the word, flaky texter in my life. There'll be nothing. Should no serial killers, true stories of the world's worst murderers, nice one. That's in my nice backpack. One. I carry a backpack for work and people think I'm geeky for it, but I don't care because it's so practical. Um, They're not practical. Backpacks are stupid. What? They're you annoying have your on arms the train. Free. Yeah, but no, use a crossbody bag. If you if it's on your back and you want to get something bag. out of it, how are you supposed to get right? Yeah, but when I get chase it. people down the street for court, oh okay, I'm good. To, I'm mobile. I got my little drink bottle on the side there. Right, okay. I'm very good. Okay. Oh, but I have realised since taking. I'm sorry, Chris. It's Chris that hates the waffle, isn't it? I'm sorry. God, sorry when you Chris. wear the backpack, you can't wear heels to work anymore because that looks ridiculous. Yes, heels in a backpack. It's yes. so weird. It's yes. weird. Anyway, so I've been wandering around with this serial killers book in my bag because <laughs> when I have some downtime at court, I just whip out the serial killers book and I have a bit of a Research. read and I find stories. Yeah. But it can look odd. And it's got, yeah, it's red and black anyway. That's what's looks in my good. bag. Mm. I've been getting heaps of stories from that. But this is not one of them. This is oh, a story. heaps. I've got heaps of stories from it. I've got heaps of stories from it, Dee Dee. I have to stockpile because I get distracted. Anyway, Sarah Kafferke, she was born on the 20th of June, 1990. Sorry, my chair keeps making you sound like a fart. It does. It does. She's described yeah, as... again. Pardon me. <laughs> she's described as bubbly, attractive oh, and engaging. <laughs> Stop talking. Sarah grew up in a close-knit... My mum. Oh, we're still going. <laughs> All right. My mum does farts. We used to call them when we were kids weenie boys because she would try and, she would try and hold them we in. We used to call them pummies. And they would come out sounding like this. 
It's like when your stomach makes that noise and you know it's screaming to let a shit out. <laughs> you know? I know, that's what they say, a fart is a poo crying for help. <laughs> Don't. Sorry. <laughs> when we lose it about poo, you know how people got really mad about that episode? No more poo. Don't. Poop. No more. If you've been with us from the start, people you would know that people got controversial. But, oh. One more interruption. This is probably, I promise, and then you can do the story. Okay. Have either of you noticed a smell in the room? Because I've had my shoes <laughs> off. <laughs> I've, had, <laughs> I've had my shoes off for the last 20 minutes. I want to take my shoes off, but I didn't want to be rude. And yeah, I no, looked do under it. the table. No, because I think mine are going to smell because these I are cheap flats. My They're terrible. Oh, yeah, no, well, good. Runners. Your feet don't smell at all. Good. Okay, not fine. at all. Not at all. Good. I wasn't sure what to say when you asked that question. I was like, <laughs> do I stink? Anyway, get serious. Right. Disclaimer, this is rather horrific. It's helpful. Uh, Sarah was born on the 20th of June, 1990. She was described as bubbly, attractive and engaging. Uh, she grew up in a close-knit rural community of Bacchus Marsh mm-hmm. in Victoria. She had lots of loving family and friends. She completed year 11 at Bacchus Marsh College, but she couldn't continue. She couldn't do year 12 VCE because she was unwell. Uh, She was fun-loving. She loved to have a good time, but that also included taking drugs. Um, At the start, it was just cannabis, but then she got progressively worse. She went to harder drugs. Mm. She was using GHB and she started using ice. Oh, for Christ's sake, my work printer has done that shit thing again where it goes double-sided. Anyway, okay. I can't do double sided and the staple, so I'm going to rip every page as I go along because it's so annoying. <laughs> Why are you laughing so much, Dee Dee? No. I hate double sided. I'm with you. Anyway, Sarah, however, knew she had an addiction problem. Have you lost it or are you good? You know, I'm fine. Okay. I'm good. Sarah I'm knew good. she had an addiction problem and she I'm like started. I'm triggered though. Her long journey towards recovery by yep. seeking professional help. In August 2012, she entered a detox facility and after completing one a one-week program, she expressed a desire to change her life. However, she did fall back into drug use and she wanted to change. So she went, she booked back into a facility. I want you to remember this date. The booking that she made was for the 13th of November, 2012. Right. Okay. Remember that date. 13th of November, 2012. I'm writing it down. Yes. Remember it. Now, uh, she met a man called James Hunter. He's 47 years old. How old was she? Sarah is 22. Okay. So the two of them were friends. He was a known criminal. Sarah knew he was a criminal and she was okay with that. She accepted him for what he was. They were friendly. They hung out. They were not in a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. I just feel the need to say that. My nose is running. Okay. On the 7th of November, Sarah and another friend stayed the night um, at his house. They took drugs on that evening and over the next few days, uh, they were in contact by phone and by Saturday being the 10th, she was back at his house and they were drinking again and they were using ice. Sometime during that visit, Stephen was uh, cleaning up his house and he found a syringe that belonged to his ex-partner, not Sarah. At this point, he said something under his breath and as he said something under his breath, he's used the word junkie and Sarah thought he was talking to her. Now, the two of them argued and he was saying, no, I was talking about my ex. I was talking about my ex. Mm. And she just kept going at him saying, I know you were talking about me. Now, at some point, she's hit him on his back Mm -hmm. with her fists. Turning around, he overbalanced and he fell. When he got up, she hits him again. But you have to remember here, Sarah's quite petite. Mm -hmm. She's very small. So even with her hitting him, he wasn't being beaten up. By no, any but means. still, it's like uh, it's being pushed, beating, hitting. Yes. I just, it's awful. Don't like it. Yes. <laughs> Don't laugh at the ripping paper. It's the ripping. I'm going to take the staple out. Please do. Cause okay. It's, why is it? It's not even funny. It's not. I, How it's is not, the ripping paper not, funny? I can't get the staple. Don't wreck your manicure. No, no, don't. Look at your perfect fingernails. No, I just got them done. It's fine. No, don't. Leave it. It's all right. No, I can live with otherwise it. Otherwise, you can't. Otherwise, I'm going to laugh too. Rip. It's killing you. It's killing me. Okay. Okay. We're good. So, uh, 
yes, yeah, so she's quite small, he's quite large. Right. But even so, Stephen at this point snapped and brutally murdered Sarah with oh. a hammer oh, and God. a knife. No. Stephen remembers striking Sarah to the head with a hammer that had been lying on the lounge room floor. He has no memory of stabbing her. Who has a hammer lying on their lounge room floor? I know. It's weird, right? Mm. But he did. On the medical evidence, the stabbing was shocking in its ferocity, especially given that Sarah was defenceless. That medical evidence was provided by a forensic pathologist who examined Sarah's body after it was found. He said the cause of death was multiple stab wounds. There were 10 separate stab injuries to her head, her neck, Mm. seven stab injuries to her chest, abdomen, two injuries, possibly defensive in nature on her upper limbs. Now, one of those stabs was extremely close to Sarah's heart. So he's just gone at her. Yeah. There were also sharp and blunt injuries through Sarah's skull, including a punched-in type fracture caused by severe to extreme force. It's not possible to know what order those injuries were inflicted in. Mm. But now I want to take you back to what happened after her murder. So Stephen phones a friend and he asks that that friend bring over his uh, spare house keys. That friend does so and he leaves his house. Stephen leaves his house while Sarah's body's still in the kitchen. Just leaves her there. Just left her there. Throughout the night, Stephen sends Sarah's phone text messages pretending that she was alive to try and avoid suspicion with regard to her disappearance. The next day, the female friend that I mentioned earlier that had stayed the night there with Sarah. Yeah. Uh, he, she contacted him asking, do you know where Sarah is? Yeah. He starts lying and say he, he hasn't seen her since Saturday morning. He doesn't know where she is. The friend then said, well, her mum's looking for her. Is this officially perverting the course of justice at this point or does the police have to be involved for it to be perverting the course of justice? Well, yes, they probably have to be involved at this point. But it shows that... No, but I mean, if the police aren't there and actively investigating, is it still perverting the course of justice if you're hiding, deliberately setting out to hide No, but it would go towards your remorse level. Right, okay. In sentencing. Yep. They would consider that you covered up the crime, you yep. lied, you did everything to conceal the crime, so your remorse can't be gotcha. taken at its highest level. So uh, he's lying. The friend says, well, can you let me know if you see her because her mum's looking for her. Meanwhile, Stephen, he says, yeah, sure, but he keeps going with his attempts to conceal the crime. He wrapped Sarah's body in a bag and put it in the boot of his car. At about 7 o'clock, he went to the home of a friend and told that friend that he was in trouble and that he'd stuffed up. What are you doing? If I was the friend. Mm. And he says, he tells that friend that he's murdered Sarah and her body's in the boot and he's got to get rid of it. I'd be scared to call the cops Same. in front of him right Same. there, but I'd say, I've just got to go down the shops. Yeah. Back of you in a second. Run. Yeah. Same. He tells his mate that he was house-sitting and he had a party when things went wrong and a person had been killed, but he tells the friend that someone else had killed her and he was just kind of lumped with the job of getting rid of the body. Yeah, right. He asks his friend if he can bury the body at his family's oh, property no. in no, the country. Can't. No, no. And realising that he was serious, the friend refused to help and told him to bugger off. That's good. Yeah. I don't know if he said bugger off, but he told him to leave the area. Are you editorialising? Okay. Yeah. Right. So uh, instead, the the two of the... F- bugger off. Bugger off. What Get out of here. I don't know. <laughs> um, instead, for some reason, the two of them get into separate cars yeah. and they drive to the city. They buy some food and he tells his friends that he really needs to do... Remember how we spoke about people doing calm shit after murder? Is she still in the boot? I believe so. What? So they go into the city, they buy some food, and he tells his friend that he really needs to do something quickly because Sarah's body was beginning to smell. (gasps) The two of them then went to a hardware store in a nearby suburb. He asked his friend if he could borrow his boat to dispose of Sarah's body. The friend doesn't let him do that. And at the store, instead, uh, he purchases a 20-litre container of hydraulic acid, three bags of rapid-set concrete, one bag of lime, and one roll of black plastic. If you're working at that hardware store... Yes, honestly, there's got to be, like, you know, lists. Beep. Yep. Beep. And then... Plastic. And then dull triple zero. gloves. Right. Yep. Surely. Surely. 
body After bag. returning to their cars, the friend refuses his plea for assistance. Right, okay. And he leaves. This is so similar to the New Zealand one, isn't it? That we, uh, Yes. Did, yeah, Carmen Thomas, yeah. So uh, a woman by the name of uh, Noelle Dixon, she is Sarah's mother. Mm-hmm. She's obviously worried and she's terrified at this Day. She still hasn't heard from her daughter. She contacts uh, Bacchus Marsh Police and they formally report her missing. At 9.45 that night, the police send a text message to Stephen requesting that he contact them urgently in relation to missing person Sarah Kafferke. Mm. The next day, being the 13th of November 2012, Stephen had been concealing Sarah's body for three days. Remember I told you to remember that date? Yes. Well, hang on. I've got the 20th of November. Oh, mm. was it the 20th? Mate, did I write it down wrong? It's entirely possible. I had the 13th. Did you yes, get the it's 13th? the 13th. Because you were distracted. Hmm. By laughing at my photocopying. Yeah, maybe I made it up. Where's my date? This is in the very beginning. Fucking double-sided. Oh. Shit. 13th. Where did I get 20 from? So, okay. I wanted you to remember that date yep. because Sarah never I've, got a uh, ch- 13th of November. Correct. Because Sarah never got a chance. Sick of having to correct you, Kirsten. Can you please... <laughs> So Sarah was murdered before yes. she could go back for her second stint in rehab. Ah, and I found that yeah. really sad. Yeah. She'd wanted to be a better person. Although she was still using drugs, she knew that she had that rehab date. Yeah. And she was going to be a better person. And she was and trying. She was yep. taken before that could happen. Yeah. Um, so going back to... Noelle Dixon. She's mm. called the police. They've sent the text and told him they need to talk to him about Sarah. Um, the next day being Tuesday the 13th of November, Stephen had been concealing Sarah's body now for three days. On this morning, he drove to Point Cook, removed the body from the boot of his car. In the garage of that home, he placed the body in the bottom of a green wheelie bin. He emptied in the three bags of concrete and then he mixed in water. Then he calls the cops back. He leaves a message. He again speaks to the friend, Sarah's friend, and tells her he has no idea where Sarah is. Mm. Um, he eventually does speak to the police and he says he'd been with Sarah at his Bacchus Marsh home in the afternoon but had left her there at about 5 o'clock. He said he didn't return for two days and Sarah was not there when he got back. He told them he was currently living at Point Cook. Yeah. The next day, he went back to the Bacchus Marsh house. He took Sarah's car from the garage, drove it to uh, Maribyrnong, and he left it in a random street. To make it look like she'd gone there. And, like she okay. wasn't there yeah. anymore. Later that morning, uh, very conveniently for him, cops turned up. Her car's obviously gone, and cops find nothing else out of the ordinary in the home. Two days later, police eventually found her car where it had been dumped. Yeah. And in the morning of Saturday the 17th of November, investigators from the Homicide Squad go to the Bacchus Marsh home with a search warrant. They observed evidence of a crime, including recent attempt to clean the floors, uh, the walls, and there was blood stains on various items. A little later, police attended at the Point Cook home uh, where they executed a search warrant. While present outside the house, they could smell a persistent odour of decay. Ooh. They tracked it down to a green wheelie bin inside the garage. Oh, it was still there at the house. <gasps> In the garage, they found empty bags of rapid rapid set concrete, blood stains on the floor and also on a nearby stepladder and the container of acid. Inside the house, they found the jumper worn by Stephen when attending the hardware stores. They've yeah. obviously compared for CCTV. Yeah. Uh, a pair of bloodstained shoes and a second wheelie bin containing rubbish bags and bloodstained clothing. Mm. Early in the morning of Sunday, the 18th of November 2012, the wheelie bin with Sarah's body was removed from the garage and taken by police to the Institute of Forensic Medicine. They scanned it and realised that her body was in the bottom of it, encased in lime and concrete under a quantity of solid concrete. So they had to cut her out? Literally. Wow, that's just awful. Later that morning, his friend with who he'd been staying of uh, heard news that Sarah had been found murdered. The friend asked him to leave. He again asked his friend for help and a place to hide and again discussed 
uh, he he's talked about committing suicide. He was telling his friend he was going to kill himself. Mm. The friend agreed to let him stay at the house for one night. Uh, he left the home on the 19th of November. Next day, police finally found him. They tracked him down and arrested him. He asked, do you know why we're here? And he says yes for murder. When interviewed, he refused to say what happened to Sarah. And when asked about her as a person, he said she was grouse. Oh. He was again asked to explain what happened. At this time, he said, I don't understand myself. And a little later, he said, I can't help anyone. I'm nothing. A third time he was asked, he finally confessed. He then uh, was asked to be locked up until he died. He asked that, mm. that they lock. Oh, okay. But this wasn't the first time Stephen Hunter had taken a life. What? On the 25th of February, 1988, after pleading not guilty, he was convicted by a jury of murdering Jacqueline Matthews on April 9, 1986. Miss Matthews was a young student who was working part-time in a supermarket to help keep herself at school. She was his colleague at the supermarket. He says they ended up in a secluded part of the car park. Um, and they were sitting in a car. And according to him, there was some kissing and cuddling, but then she rejected him. So he then stabbed her to death oh, with seven wow. blows, some to the throat and some to the heart. After the stabbing, he went back to the supermarket where he worked. He and an associate then returned to the scene of the crime to dispose of the body. He used a can of petrol, took Miss Matthews' body to a remote location and set her on fire, burning her beyond all recognition. He then returned to work, acting as though nothing had happened. The judge said, It is truly shocking to think that a young man aged only 21 years was capable of such things and that even more shocking to think some 27 years later, you have done something very similar again. You were under sentence before me for your second crime of murdering a young woman. In both cases, you brutally stabbed the victim with a knife. In the present case, you also used a hammer and then sought to conceal the crime by disposing the body in a most callous and calculating manner. On both occasions, the killing was not provoked in any way and the victim represented no kind of physical threat to you. Both of the victims were completely defenceless in the face of your vastly superior physical strength. He was <laughs> given life behind bars with no parole. And I'm going to say it again, I don't believe that there can be a 27-year gap and nothing in between. Right. If he's got that violent nature where he's, he Just goes... snaps. Yeah. Don't tell me you How can there be nothing in between? Yeah. Oh, well, I suppose Isn't DNA. Isn't crazy? And it's just so sad that Sarah knew he was a criminal but accepted him for what he was. Yeah. And she was just like, took him for face value. She obviously didn't know that he'd murdered someone before. But yeah. Yeah. But it's like you said, she was trying to get her life back mm. together. Oh, poor girl. And I assume this was probably one of those ones where all of the media knew shortly after his arrest that he'd. Yeah. been done for murdering someone before, but we wouldn't have been allowed to report it. Yeah. Oh, actually, I don't think it went to a jury because he confessed. We probably weren't allowed to report it until he was sentenced. Mm. Don't know. Mm. What you got? Thank you, Chanel. You're welcome. For that story. Very well told. Uh, I have the story of Jeffrey Gillum. Mm. This happened in 1993 in in Sydney. Stephen mm -hmm. and Helen Gillam were the parents. They're a very affluent Sydney suburb of Warrenora. Mm. Assuming that's how it's said. Anyway, so they Stephen and Helen live there. They've got two adult sons. Jeffrey is 23, and Christopher is a couple of years older. Christopher's 25. Mm -hmm. Very well off family. Um, Helen was a school nurse. Stephen had retired. He played a bit of golf. There was a river just near their home, so he'd do a bit of boating. Sure. Now, the oldest son, Christopher, who was 25, was very introverted. Mm -hmm. Quite bad vision. He wore glasses, couldn't really see much without. He was a little bit of a geek. And the younger son, Jeffrey, two years younger, he was very popular, athletic and charming. So the right. brothers are chalk and cheese. Yeah. Jealous, um, sorry, Jeffrey was very jealous of Christopher because he always thought that Christopher, the older brother, was the parents' favourite. Right. I think it was more a case of Christopher needed more attention because he had this vision problem and I think he was more of an introverted kid. They okay. just ended up giving him more more attention. Um, Christopher had finished his chemistry degree, mm -hmm. but he was having some trouble finding work. So there's a bit of friction with the dad over money. Uh, there'd been a bit of 
pushing and shoving apparently. Now, Jeffrey, the younger brother, had been telling his friends that the dad and the older brother, Christopher, had been shoving each other about about a bit and, right. and arguing. Uh, Christopher, though, the older one, was such a quiet guy that people weren't actually believing Jeffrey that there was any push and shove going on. Uh, Jeffrey also told people that Chris was depressed after breaking up with his girlfriend. So on uh, August the 18th, 1993... Ted and Jan Warner, who lived next door to the Gillum family, they were woken up by someone banging on their door. Mm -hmm. It was Jeffrey Gillum, the younger brother, wearing just his shorts, and he said he'd killed his brother. Oh. And he said that Chris had murdered their parents. So, which means... He's gone to the older sister's house. So the younger brother has gone and knocked on the neighbour's house. Oh, the neighbour's house. And says that... He's killed Christopher, his older brother. But Christopher knocked off the parents. And Christopher had killed the parents. Yep. Right. That's what Jeffrey says. In what? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was about to say something really dumb. Anyway. Um, I was say, in what order? Well, obviously, <laughs> the dead brother killed the parents first. In and, that uh, order. Uh, Shut Okay. This Carry is according on. to Chris. Okay. Uh, Don't now, even bother editing that out. That can just happen. Because <laughs> it just happened. People need to know. <laughs> There's just, okay. Jeffrey had called emergency services to report that three members of his family had just been stabbed to death. I chased him down the stairs. He, he killed, killed them. I don't know why. He set them alight. So, Jeffrey didn't live in the main house with Mum and Dad and Christopher. Okay. He lived in a converted boat shed away from the house. Okay. He said he'd been woken up. So he was in the boathouse, woken up by his – there was an intercom between the main house and his boathouse. Mm-hmm. He'd been woken up by his mother's voice on the intercom screaming for help. Oh, no. How dreadful. Now, another neighbour later said that they heard several voices shouting in the Gillam house at about 3.57am. Right. I just realised I've left out a crucial part of this story in that the house is on fire. Did I mention that? Sorry. No. no, there was no fire. Right. I'm confused. Go again. When Jeffrey when Jeffrey knocked on the neighbor's front door. Yeah. The house is on fire. Sorry? And he says all the things that he said. Hold on. The neighbor's house is on fire? No, no, no. When he knocked on the door of the neighbors and says, I've killed my brother and my brother has killed my parents. His house is on fire. At that stage, the house is burning down. <laughs> Sorry. It's kind of important. It's not isn't unlike it? you to leave out such a crucial detail, I know, but. I know. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. There you go. Um, so, yes, this another neighbor. Hello. Um, I, I've murdered my brother. But, yes. but I'll tell you one thing. He murdered my parents first. <laughs> What's the that house smell? Is on fire. My house is on fire. Yes. Sorry, Didi, forgot to tell everyone right, that, that was we've key. clarified. Right. Uh, so this, yes, this other neighbourhood fighting half an hour before the fire right. apparently started. So Jeffrey said that after he heard his mother scream on the intercom, he ran up to the house mm-hmm. and went straight upstairs where he found both his parents already stabbed to death. This is what right. he says. Helen was laying on her back in the hall uh-huh. outside the bedroom near the intercom. Sure. Uh, Jeffrey said that Chris was leaning over Helen's body with a lit match oh. and there was a knife on the ground by his feet. Now, Helen had been stabbed 17 times wow. and her throat had been cut. Oh. The dad, Stephen Gillum, was face down in the bedroom nearby uh-huh. He had 38 stab wounds Mm. and on both Helen and Stephen, Mm -hmm. most of the stab wounds were near the heart. Oh, right. Mm. Terrible. Both the bodies had been soaked with kerosene. Yep. And he's over the top of the mum with the match. And the brother. Right. The older brother. Yep. Christopher is apparently standing over them with a match. So Jeffrey told his Mm neighbours that at that point Christopher had said to him, I've killed mum and dad. And then dropped the match, oh. setting Helen's body on fire. Right. He also says that the flames then spread <laughs> to Stephen's body. So Jeffrey says that at this point, because Christopher's just done that, apparently. Yeah. Uh, are you noting the cynicism in my yes, voice? Yes, I am. Okay. Jeffrey says he then picked up that knife that was laying on the ground and chased Christopher through the house. Now, 
Christopher's blood was found on the stairs leading down to the lower floor mm-hmm. where his body was eventually found. Right. Which suggests that he had been stabbed or Earlier. at least hurt or something or injured as he was running down. Yes, right. or something. He had 17 stab wounds, oh. mostly around the heart. Oh. Isn't that weird that both brothers apparently killed the same way? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Jeffrey admits to killing Christopher, but he says that he can't remember doing it. Right. Now, the neighbours, the ones who he knocked yep. on the door, and I neglected to tell you that. Oh, I just hope a neighbour never, ever knocks on my door with that shit. Yeah. Go yeah, to the other side. And get dressed. Don't just turn up in your Go shorts. Go to the other side. Please. I've told you about my neighbour, right? No. Oh, I've got some suspicions. I'm scared to talk about my neighbours because I have a feeling they listen to me on the radio. And yeah, go, maybe yeah. I shouldn't then. What if he listens? I don't know I don't know. This does. is a podcast. What? What if he listens though? You do. You never know. He might. He might know who you are. He might look up everything you do and listen, and then you'll be. Yeah, it's not worth it. Say nothing. I love my neighbours. They're great people. Same here. Same. Love Some of them. them are nice. Some of them are nice. Some of them are weird, because they were okay. These people are never going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Mine might. This one might. So I shouldn't say anything. I'll tell you when we're off air. I won't specifically say where in the neighbourhood, but somebody. I found out recently that somebody in the neighbourhood died and that particular person. Such like suburb gossip. I know. I found out recently that someone (laughs) in the neighbourhood died. And the person died quite a while ago. Right. Like. Did you know them? Earlier in the year. Yes. Of course Because the person, when we moved into the neighbourhood, was really sweet. My kids were little and that person brought a gift over. Yeah. And so I hadn't seen anyone from the family for, for a months while. after this so-called death. And mm-hmm. when I did see someone quite recently, I went, I'm at a point of going over and saying, I'm really sorry. I only just heard that so-and-so died. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I just wanted to say, I'm, I'm sorry. Condolences. Yeah. Um, the person was lovely to us when we moved in to yeah. the kids. Thank you. And, and I'm sorry that that's happened. And just got blank. Oh, oh, yeah. Nothing. There was no, oh, thank you. Yeah, we miss them. I hate that. It was a really weird reaction. Were they a murderer? Anyway. Maybe that person wasn't as good well, as you I've thought. Wondered. I've wondered. That's the thing. Uh, uh, where am I up to? Okay, so we couldn't remember stabbing Chris. Right, so the Warners, the neighbours. Yes, the neighbours. Who I the love. The poor Warners. I love the Warners. Okay. Because they're smart people and they're observing. They're seeing stuff. They're yeah. watching what's going on. Yeah, they're yeah. noting the time, all of these yeah. things. They noticed... That for a man who apparently had just survived a fight to the death with his brother, yes. Jeffrey was, in their words, cool and dry. Yes. He had very little blood on him. His hair was neat, like when you get out of the shower and you oh comb it. Oh, my gosh, it. he'd showered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted Warner called the police at 4.34 a.m. It's not just approximately that he details. Uh, he and his wife had looked at Jeffrey's hands and the only blood was around – it's always there, isn't it, around the rim of the fingernails. Yeah, the you can never cuticle. get it out, can you? That's exactly right. Yeah. There were two drops on the rest of his body. One of them, they said, looked like it had been washed or wiped away and the other one was on one of his toes. Later, the police would find a drop the of Helen's blood. I know. How yeah. good are they? They're you and me, but in different bodies. Same. Um, I'm they, like, stand there. I've got to take photos of your whole body. Yeah, with my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, there was and a give drop me, of give me your phone. Yeah. <laughs> there was a drop of blood on the arch of Jeffrey's left foot. Very strange. If he had, as he admitted, stabbed his brother seventeen times. Yeah. Why would he have no blood on him? Totally. Mm. Ted sm- Ted said. Ted Warner said he could smell smoke and something like kerosene on Jeffrey's breath. Yeah. So emergency services came, put the fire out that nobody knows happened because I forgot to mention it. Yeah. Uh, they'd come and gone, taken the bodies and all the rest of it, and Jeffrey was taken down to the police station for questioning. And mm-hmm. Jan Warner, again, Jan love Warner. Your work, Jan, told her husband, oh, I don't believe him. So a few things were strange. This is what the police found a bit odd. There were no fingerprints or blood on the knife. And it was found on top of Chris's body, clean. Yeah, right. Like if it was in the sink and he said, oh, I I washed it afterwards. But no, it was – if you're just going to drop it on the body. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Also – Yes. 
if I stumble upon my sister who's murdered my parents, which would be strange because they live in separate houses now. Yes. Um, that would be weird. Yep. Yeah. I am not stabbing her to death. And here's another thing. I'm probably running away. I'll probably bring this up later. Because I'm thinking I'll... if she's murdered them, she after me. Probably. And if your boom, match gets yeah. dropped, sure. mum's on fire. But wouldn't you grab a blanket and try and put the fire out and save mum? Yeah. Because it hasn't spread to dad yet. And wouldn't old mate be on fire too? You would think so. Like wouldn't uh, match dropper be on fire? Because like, it would go. You would think so. Wouldn't you? Mm. Uh, the, the police thought it was like there was very little blood on Jeffrey, uh, given that he confessed to killing his brother. Yeah, Christopher wasn't wearing his glasses. This is the dead one. Okay, and he was apparently nearly blind without them. The glasses were found on a shelf in the bathroom, along with a towel that had his monogram on it. So oh. he it looked like he'd been in the middle of washing yeah. when the incident happened. This is at 4 a.m. Do you reckon he was taking a shower at 4 a.m.? Yeah, or no. did something happen? Yeah. There was a syringe full of paracetamol paste. I don't know what that's got to do with anything. Uh, on the intercom, there was a bloody fingerprint which had been badly smeared with what looked like the mark of a gloved finger. Yeah, right. I'm not sure exactly what that is because that kind of does make it sound like the mother had pressed it. But maybe he just did it afterwards to make it look like he pressed it. Maybe. A clock on the wall, doesn't this always happen, near the parents' bodies was damaged in the fire and it had stopped, stopped. at 4.29. That's like that thing where you have a car crash and your speedo stops. Yep. At the time, at the speed you were doing. So if it stopped so, at oh, 4.29. he would have committed the whole crime wearing gloves. That's why he didn't have any blood around his cuticles and he would have No, used... he did have blood around his cuticles. Oh, yeah, oh, but he showered, mm. according to okay. us. My theory is rat shit. The clock had stopped at 4.29, which was two or three minutes after Christopher's alleged time of death. Right. And only one minute before Jeff knocked on the Warner's door. Mm. The wary Warner's who kept details. Yeah. Uh, But according to fire experts, the blaze would have taken much longer than that to make enough heat to make the clock Yeah, I've told this before. Those fire forensic people, they can read that smoke and the... Everything they know. The police also found a jerry can containing a litre of petrol mm-hmm. in the Gillum's driveway with a cut down piece of garden hose sticking out of it. Mm. So they asked Jeffrey about that and he had an explanation. He said that at about 10.30 that night, he and his father had tried to siphon petrol from the car to fill the tank of their boat which was strange for a couple of reasons. So it sounds like the dad was a very particular kind of a guy. Um, He was not the kind of guy, A, to run out of petrol for his boat. Mm -hmm. He's not the kind of guy who in the middle of the night would cut up his garden hose and start siphoning his car. That's like my dad. I feel like my dad always makes sure there's petrol in the car. He's always prepared. And the boat had a two-stroke engine and you wouldn't use ordinary car petrol in it. And he would know that. Uh, So Jeffrey was arrested for the murder of his brother. Mm -hmm. In 1995, he pleaded, pleaded, pled, What's the correct word? Pled guilty? Yeah, Pleaded. but just for the brother? Yes. Oh, okay. To the manslaughter of his brother. Right. Claiming provocation and he was released on a good behaviour bond. What? Police suspected he was lying and that he had, in fact, killed his family to get an inheritance. 60 Minutes did its own investigation and uh, they asked, was it unusual that two people were murdered but there was no inquiry? Because there was no inquiry into the deaths of the parents. Oh, they just accepted it? Mm. That's Christopher did it, so they just let it go. Um, what? Yes, it's very strange. So 60 Minutes got evidence from four arson experts that said that the fire had started near the father's body. Yeah, right. Which contradicts Jeffrey's account. And 60 Minutes experts said there was no doubt that the same knife was used in all three killings and that all three killings were carried out by the same person. Yeah, right. I mean, it's a TV show, It's but, but still, still, that's what their experts said. Here's another thing. If Jeffrey heard his mother scream and he says it took him 90 seconds to get from the boathouse to the main house. Yes, then the clock. How did Christopher, within that time, stab his mother 17 times, his father 38 times, Mm. and then douse both their bodies with fuel? It's a lot of arm strength, 38 times. I can't even do like 10 tricep things in... I can't. It hurts. I've got to stop. When I was reading this the first time, I actually sat there going, 
one, two, yeah. three, and counting it out. It's, it's a lot. You'd be exhausted, wouldn't you? So at first, Jeffrey's uncle, Tony Gillum, so brother of the dead father, Stephen yes. Gillum, Tony Gillum, he stood by Jeffrey, but as more information came out at the inquest, he sort of backed away. Yeah, right. In fact, he actually eventually declared Jeffrey to be a psychopath and a murderer. The inquest was in 2000. It concluded that Jeffrey should be prosecuted. Mm-hmm. wasn't in two, until 2006 that charges of murder were brought against him for his parents' mur- murders. Now, after that, things got really mess- messy. There were trials. There were mistrials. There were appeals. Right. Eventually, in 2008, Jeffrey was convicted of two counts of murder. In 2009, he was sentenced to life in prison. Yeah. The sentencing judge, Justice Roderick Howey, described him as a consummate liar and a brilliant actor whose offences were truly heinous, Mm. but the case was far from over. The following year, he appealed on the basis of doubt over some expert testimony about the amount of carbon dioxide in Christopher's lungs when he died. Mm -hmm. So in 2011, Jeffrey's conviction was overturned. In 2012, the Supreme Court acquitted him of both charges, voting... 2-1 2-1 in favour against a retrial. So one of right. the judges wanted a retrial and two didn't. Yep. If they had gone to a retrial, it probably would have been hopeless anyway because most of the evidence has disappeared. Mm. So Jeffrey walked free. Oh he gosh. collected his inheritance. <gasps> we still don't know. He's out. Whether Jeffrey killed his parents. Have we broken some laws in this one? I don't know. We still don't no, know. No, it all happened. We still don't know for sure whether Jeffrey killed his parents. I or was whether like shook that he's out just because yeah. our lives are at risk. He's out. So Tony Gillum, the uncle, uncle told uh, – I beg your pardon, which Gillum is it? Mr. Gillum. Yes. Okay. So this is Jeffrey Gillum mm-hmm. outside the court said, this has been a horrendous experience for us. I'm glad today that I've been acquitted of the charges. I'd like to thank all the supporters that stuck by me, blah, 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 blah. Everyone that's fought for the truth to be told. He's got. A, he's married. He's got clutched his wife's hand. I don't even care to mention her name. Uh, he's happy to be going home a free man. That's all I want to do is go home. But Tony Gillum, his uncle said, it's not over yet, Jeffrey. I'll fix you. And he said that the court's decision was a miscarriage of justice. And that's where we have to leave it, unfortunately. I know I hate it when it's not right at the end. This is why we can't have the death penalty, though. I agree. This came up because of the Belangolo State Forest thing. This is why we can't have it because whether you think he did it or not, people are cleared. Exactly. And you can't clear someone who is dead. Better to let a hundred guilty men walk free than yeah. to kill an innocent man. Yeah. Yep. And technically he's innocent. You can do the feedback today. Okay. Well, you don't want to. If you want to. Oh, sure. Oh, no, I don't mind. There's just been uh, a lot of me going... Sick of my voice. I am. We recently mentioned Matthew's feedback. He wanted to uh, hear the story of Clementine Barnabet, which Ah, we did in episode 66. He said at the end of his message, also, I have seen four dead bodies. I will email you and explain as one was very, very bloody. Yeah, and you and I'll be shouting, I'm shook. No, stop. I'm shook. Because usually what you say. I'll be you. Yes. Well, to make cordial, you need two bags of sugar, <laughs> which I obviously have. And exactly. if you want to make a date slice, you a just put it there. Okay. Done being mean to each other? I made white chocolate chip cookies and I didn't bring you in any. I made them yesterday. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring them in because I thought they weren't fresh out of the oven. I thought, oh, I can't bring you yesterday's biscuits, can I? Oh, yeah. Kirsten looks angry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I don't know why you didn't. You anyway. Correct. <laughs> sorry. Okay, well. well People, the email is in. Oh, Matthew. Hi, ladies. Love the podcast. Oh, Matthew, stop it. I tell everyone I know to tune in. Get out. I love the banter between you and the side tangents you take. Mm. I have seen four dead bodies, perhaps more, but I will tell you about one. Mm. Okay. Just one. Okay. I was working on a cruise ship. I hope he's picked this one. And during the day when guests are on shore and sightseeing, the crew go in and clean the rooms. Mm. I was sent to clean a room and I opened the door and nothing seemed odd. I just thought the person went offshore and left their TV on. Mm -hmm. I went into the bedroom and I saw the man dead on the bed. (gasps) 
dead on the bed. There was blood on the sheets and oh. the floor. It was gross and oh. the smell was so bad because oh. he'd been there for a day. I cleaned the day before, he says, and there was no dead body then. Right. In those situations, we leave the room calmly and place a hazard sticker in the top right corner of the door. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just seeing Matthew like literally calmly backwards out of refer- the room. <laughs> Actually, I've got a story to tell after this, okay. um, which I don't know if I have permission to tell, but I'm going to tell it without identifying the person. Right. Um, to leave the room calmly and place a hazard sticker in the top right corner of the door with a yellow strap so people know not to go in there. <gasps> it turned out the man had a few blood thinners and started to bleed in his sleep oh and he God. didn't wake up. I've taken blood thinners. Out of where? Where's the blood coming from? I don't from? know. Where's he bled out all over the bed. I still see his lifeless body when I go on a boat. I no longer work on boats. He says he's done, but it's really hard to tell family about it because they don't understand how stressed I was. I quit my job that day and moved to the other side of the country to escape it. Oh dear. I don't blame him. That would be horrific. It would be, but, and I'm not a doctor, but I imagine that would be a peaceful way to die because what? the well the person was obviously asleep. Well, you were asleep. I'm going to interject. He's he, this this goes on, but I'm going to interject with my story here. Right. Someone told me that I do not know if I have permission to tell, but I'm going to tell it. Do it. Okay. So I was talking about this podcast with a friend, and the friend revealed to me that they used to work in hotels. Is that a rich source of dead bodies? I said, oh, my God, have you seen a dead body? And he was like, yeah. (gasps) Can he, will he talk to us? Maybe. We'll try that. Okay. Sit on it for now. All right. Have a try. Okay. Have a try. I could record it with him and we could play it. Do that. Okay. Do that. Oh, okay. I won't tell the story. Oh, that's exciting. It's quite a good story. Okay, good. Okay, I'll remember to to get the story. Okay, anyway, back to Matthew. Matthew says, okay, one other one. Poor Matthew. I know. He said he had to move. I know. He says, I was on exchange to Belgium and on my first day exploring the city, a building exploded from a gas leak. People were running from the building and carrying other people out. It was horrible. He was only 16 or 17 at the time. He's now 27. He says, I remember going to school the next day and people were crying and I found out a teacher was supposed to teach him German, but that teacher died. They showed a picture of her and I swear he thinks he saw her collapse after exiting the building. I was so scared I just stood there watching. I was walking past the building next to it and I remember just standing there doing nothing. Looking back, I feel like I should have done something, but I was just so scared. Since that time, I have helped in a few different incidents. No one can say what they're going to do in that situation. No. Everyone likes to say, I would run towards danger and I would help. But the reality is, and I've seen... Uh, CCTV of awful things yeah. played in court. Yeah. People run away. Yeah. Or people do nothing. Yeah. Yes, there are people that run towards, but the, I I would say the majority of people run away. Yeah. And that's okay. Well, I think it or is all right don't because do if, anything. That's if fine. You're not equipped to deal with the situation. You're just going to make things yes, worse and, and messier. Totally you might get fine hurt yourself. to feel worried for yourself and yeah. to run away to save your own life. Yeah. That is fine. And you're only young, Matthew. What did he say? He was 16 or 17? He was only 16 or 17 at the oh, time. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Right. You would, though. You would, it, that would be the natural thing yes. to think, should I have done more? But I'm but glad no, that you helped now in, in different incidents and maybe you feel like you're redeeming yourself. But yeah. you didn't. You have nothing to redeem yourself for because exactly. it is fine. Wow, Matthew. Yeah. That's only two, though. I think you've I got know, some more emailing to others. do. Yeah, hey, want to be too email. pushy, but and I will four, interview, interview my friend about. Okay. I should have recorded it when we we were in Nando's when they <laughs> told There'd me be a bit of background noise and yeah, that's the thing. And we were concerned at the time because there was only one person working at Nando's when he told me, and there was a lot of people ordering. And then she was taking the orders and going out the back and making it all herself too. <laughs> yeah, it was weird anyway. That's busy. I will ask said friend. Righto, you do that. I well, will. it's been a joy and a pleasure. Do you know, I, um, What's happening? Well, we don't say thank you, and I just want to say thank you to all the people I know. who listen to us. Um, people ask me 
all the time. Oh, how's your podcast going? And I go, yeah, we got listeners. Yeah, that's what well, I no, say. It's, it's a big surprise to us. I mean, it gives us such joy, uh, such joy to see emails bob up in the inbox. Yes. We do read them. We do respond to them as much as possible. We do. Um, and the face, uh, we do. Listen to it. Uh, we do. Your own sister <laughs> email. That's right. We do. I don't read any of the emails. The DB Facebook- does and DB. DB. <laughs> And DB sends them to me. People on our Facebook page are so much fun uh, and send us stories and stuff and we try and share as much of it as we can on the Facebook page. And Mm. you're fabulous. And Instagram, Twitter just, I don't know what, we just, honestly, we couldn't be bothered with that. Twitter's such a cesspit (laughs) now, isn't it? It is. Twitter used to be fun. I really tee off on people on Twitter lately. Mm. I've been going off. Do it. sassy. It's funny though, I I tweeted... A, a really inane tweet of something that happened to me on the train on the way to work Say, the other morning. Yes. All right, I'll tell you what happened. A man and a woman got on. He There was only one seat. He sat on the seat. She sat on the ground. And then? And started mewing like a cat and he was stroking mewing. her head. Yeah. Meowing. <laughs> mewing. Meowing. Meowing. Mewing. Whatever. Mewing. Mewing. Well, but they spell it M-E-W-7-O, whatever. And she was and, pretending to be a cat. Yes, and then the, all this other weird shit was happening and I start tweeting, there is this weird shit happening in front of me. And I've got a video and I've got photos, but I can't post it because it's got their faces no. on. And then she's he's like holding the back of his hand and she's nuzzling at it and then she's Some stroking him like he's a cat. And then um, she, the weirdest part was she sort of nibbled at his pocket. I'm thinking, what are you giving me head Ooh. on the train? What's going on here? <laughs> and then... She stood up and she started picking through his hair like apes do. Yeah, that's some weird fetish thing. Something strange was going on. And then I thought, you two look alike. You look like brother and sister. But then they stood up face to face. And you and sent I, me the video. I know. It's also did my head in. Anyway, it was the most ridiculous, dumb tweet. People went nuts for it because I think everyone's so nasty on Twitter. It's, oh, yeah. They like a bit they of lighthearted. Are. You give a bit of lighthearted. I do a lot Twitter, of light. I, like I do a lot of overheard in court. Yeah, and I love it. Yeah. Don't ever stop. Oh, you're welcome. More of and sometimes it. I just randomly tweet dogs because, you know. So, bottom line, thank you for listening. And thank we you. love hearing your stories too. So, please, you know where to find us Facebook and email. Here comes Tony with the email. Dead Bodies is created by DD Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.